Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me, an unbelievably giddy Ellen Adair. Ellen, welcome. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> There's that giddy voice, I'm Ellen. So this this is okay. I know we we we've done we've done these uh, numerous times before, but uh, you're this is different for you, isn't it? You're you're are you it's nervous? Are you are, are you? Would you say you're nervous? I would say so. Yes. Yes, my little heart is going pitter-pat. Yes, yes, because joining us today on the podcast uh, is uh, All-Star, 2006 MVP, and for Ellen, hero of the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies, Ryan Howard. Ryan, welcome. Hey, guys. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Ellen, uh, this is... I view this as a gift for Ellen. This is like Ellen, your next four birthdays are taken care of. Yes. Because you they get to be are. yes, you get to be on the podcast. So Ellen is gonna have a million questions for you that they're probably gonna be very specific. Billy's questions about like specific innings at bats. It's so I'm gonna jump in first, right? Okay. And, and start get, off with get, something. Get that get that word in before get, Ellen. Gonna say, get me out of the way. <laughs> and so we can we can have Ellen and you uh talk some Phillies. But um, I first met you in 2005. Okay. You were just up from, from, uh, you were just up. You had only been up maybe a couple of weeks and it was in San Diego. Uh, and I was there with Buck O'Neill. I was there writing, uh, the soul of baseball, my book on Buck O'Neill. And we were on the field and I believe it was Kenny Lofton, although it might've been Jimmy Rollins. I can't remember, brought you over to meet Buck O'Neill for the very first time. And uh, I just remember how thrilled you were, how excited you were to, to meet the, the man. Uh, I'm wondering what, what your memories are of, of, that, of that moment. Um, man, I mean, that particular moment uh, for me was, was something that was very, very um, special and, like, intense because <laughs> I would always go to – Kansas City because my, my son lived in Kansas City and so every year before spring training began I would always drive down to spring to spring training so I'd go up to Kansas City to go see my son and then I'd always visit the Negro League Museum right you know for me it was kind of a, a thing of, of paying homage to to those who kind of came before me and helped kind of pave the way for me mm. and just felt like you know it was my way of trying to give back and 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 give to them and on the outside i don't know well obviously you've been to the museum have you been to the museum <laughs> many many so, many times yes. so buck <laughs> is standing out looking over the field and it's like you know you see his statue as it's looking over the field and it's like you can just feel the energy from the statue and the positivity of it and to actually see him in in person it's like <laughs> you know, this is insane you, you you get you know you turn into like a a little kid and, and a fan. But the thing I enjoy most is just kind of listening to the stories, listening to what he says and just try to sit back and just become a sponge and just soak it all up because it's what he lived, what he experienced, what he saw, and still to have the type of energy and have the type of positivity that he was able to exude. Um, I mean, the world is, 
was 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 definitely a better place with him in it. Oh yeah, what a what a special guy. I remember, uh, I think it was Jimmy Rollins who said, mm-hmm. "Buck, you got to meet this guy." he's the left-handed Josh Gibson. I remember him introducing you <laughs> as a left-handed Josh Gibson. And, uh, and Buck was like, ah, oh, you have a little power, son. I remember, I just remember yeah. that was, that was like really, that. really fun. Okay. And, and I know you met him other, many other times since. I mean, he, he didn't live, he lived about a year longer, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more than a year. And I know you met him on, on multiple occasions after that, but that, that first time had to be like super special. Oh yeah, I remember that when he said that. He's like, "Yeah, you got a little power." I said, "Oh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit." So he said, yeah, and he said, because I wrote this, because I wrote it in the book. He said, "Don't be ashamed of your power." I remember very specifically him saying that. Uh, and uh, you, you had power. I mean, you know, that was obviously that rookie year was crazy. Your second year was 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 amazing. I did not realize that you. I mean, I guess I knew it at the time. But that you still have the record for the the fastest to 100 and fastest to 200 home runs. So, you know, for you coming into the big leagues, you know, and obviously, you know, you weren't you were you were a prospect. But I I think you surprised a lot of people when you first came up. What was the adjustment like when you first came into the big leagues? And and you know, because you did have immediate success. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was. Um, just gauging the speed of the game. Um, you know, mm-hmm. at, at every level, the game would get faster and faster. And so for me, it was basically just um, figuring out how to kind of slow down the game, just understanding what my strengths and weaknesses are. And uh, I mean, I think that was kind of the biggest adjustment to me was once I figured out one, I belong here and two, slowing down the game, everything else just kind of fell in place. Okay, Ellen, I can I can sense you. You're holding back. You're you're ready to go. <laughs> you're, you're you're ready. What what do you want to know? What do you want to ask Ryan? Oh my goodness, so many things. <laughs> do you have a preference between the two home uh, two grand slams that you hit to the third deck? Oh, um, I would probably say the first one that I hit, which was off the Yankees. I think it was off Mussina. Yes. Um, against the Yankees. And the reason why I say that one was because of Brett Myers and Ryan Madsen's response, <laughs> uh, the responses in the, uh, in the dugout after, like when they showed them on there. And it was one of those things to where uh, earlier that year, it might have been 05, I think John Lieber was pitching against Barry Bonds. And Barry hit the ball off the face of the third deck, off the facing of the third deck. And I was like, oh my gosh, dude, that's like the furthest ball I've ever seen hit. So to like <laughs> actually put a ball up in the seats. And I still feel like Barry's ball was going up <laughs> as, it, as it was leaving. I think it just ran into the face before it could continue to go up. But to put a ball like in, in the actual seats up there um, was something that was pretty cool. And it was, pretty surprising moment for me yeah what was, it's who was the second one, of, one off of uh the second one oh, i forget it um uh, it was against the nationals and that that one i remember it was uh oh man i forget his name off the top but i remember the pitch and the pitch was a change up <laughs> wow I was, I was sitting on it i was sitting on it too because i was like if he throws me a change up something dangerous is gonna happen and so he threw me a change up up 
And as soon as I hit it, like in the back of my mind, I was like, I knew it was going to the dirt. I was like, this ball might leave the stadium. I was like, I knew it was going at least to the third deck. I was like, it might leave the stadium. So I was a little disappointed it didn't leave the stadium, but I'll settle settle for the third. Yeah, no, that's that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Alan, which of those two is your favorite? I mean, I'm very torn. So that's one of the reasons why I really wanted your opinion because the first one, of course, was versus the Yankees. This is a very anti-Yankees uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. So right. I really appreciate that. Um, but I also... I don't know. I really loved that second one. I just looked it up. I didn't remember it off the top of my head, but the pitcher was Sharon Martis. Okay. Um, wow. But yeah, I I think that what I what I appreciated about that one was um, I was actually watching that game, whereas the other one I just sort of saw after the fact. That just sort of has to do with like where I was in my life in 2006. But um, so I like I felt like I participated in the moment by by watching it live, um, and I also know that that was the Grand Slam where you uh, exceeded the Grand Slam record of Mike Schmidt, um, which was particularly delightful for me. So, yeah, they're both pretty good. Sharon Mardis, I I gotta say that name did not ring a bell for me. I probably may even mispronounced it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like it's Sharon, Sharon, uh, from, he's from Curacao. And, uh, you know, he, he pitched in, uh, it looks like he got into 26 big league games. That might be the single moment like, like that he remembers most is giving up that, <laughs> that third deck grand slam to you. Because I, I mean, that's, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. I just knew he, he left it up and, now, did did that happen often to you? Not not specifically the the long home runs, but where you were sitting on a pitch and got that pitch. I mean, was that was that something that was that the way you sort of viewed the game? Were you a were you would you call yourself a guess hitter? Um, I wouldn't say so much a guess. Well, it's it's a little bit of uh, guessing. It's a little bit of I guess it's really kind of knowing the pitcher as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of looked at it as a process of elimination um, hmm. through your, as you're going through certain at bats, if you're fouling off pitches, then it kind of becomes a, a situation. If you're in a long at bat, you start fouling off pitches and a guy throws you, okay, just threw me a slider here. Okay. He threw me another slider. Okay. Maybe he's going to come fastball. It's going to be fastball changeup. So if I'm thinking fastball changeup, I'm just looking for something straight and then look to, pick up the, the the spin on the ball and whether it's a, a fastball or a changeup. But yeah, I would definitely sit certain pitches um, understanding and knowing. So I'll take you through a scenario where it was with Tim Hudson um, that same year and going into that game that the, the year I hit or the, the game I hit three home runs going into that game. I had never, I hadn't done anything against him. I think I was like two for 12 or two for 13 or something like that. A few punch outs. And I literally, he would always throw this kind of cutter and would always get me out on the cutter. Yeah. So I went up my first at bat and I knew like, okay, he's going to try to get the cutter in. Boom. He throws the cutter, hit it out. So I'm like, all right, well, now that I've shown him I can hit his cutter, he's probably going to show me that pitch again. But what he's going to try to get me out on is, or get me to roll over on is curveball, second AB. Uh, so he throws me cutter, shows it to me, this, that, or whatever. 
curveball, homer number two. <laughs> now he's throwing me the cutter and he's throwing me the curveball. And I said, he's only got one thing left and that's a fastball away. Because I've hit him, I've hit him out to right. I've hit him out to, to center. He's going to make me try to beat him away. So I'm like, the only thing he's got to, he can throw me now is a fastball away. So he throws me a curveball for a ball, throws me a cutter in, don't bite. Comes fastball away, boom! Hit fastball away, home run. Wow! So it's so it's 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 kind of an educated guessing game process of elimination type deal because pitchers don't usually want to get they don't want to get burned on the same pitch right. twice. Yeah. So they try to mix it up. So you know sometimes I'll tell a guy, hey, if you hit this pitch hard, you can just about eliminate it for your next at bat. He'll show it to you, but he's not going to want to get beat on that same pitch again and try to come with something else. That must be, I mean, look, obviously hitting three home runs in a game is obviously fun in and of itself, but that must be so rewarding <laughs> coming off of a game like that where not only do you hit three home runs off a great pitcher like Tim Hudson, but knowing that you were one step ahead of him every pit, every at bat, like, yeah. you, like you knew where he was going. And I mean, that's got to be, as a hitter, that's got to be one of the great feelings is mm -hmm. like, I, I didn't just, I didn't, I beat him. I actually beat him mentally and I beat him physically. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's the fun part of the game. It's the, the game within the game. And I think that, you know, aside from all the other, this, all the other stuff that's, you know, surrounded a guy like Barry Bonds, Barry had it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, he, had, yeah. he had it down to where he had that pitcher's mentality. I had the opportunity to kind of hit with him for a week and just kind of get in his, you know, in his brain, his mindset. And, you know, his mentality was that of a pitcher, but he flipped it around, you know, from the hitting standpoint. So, I mean, yeah. he, he had it, he had it truly figured out. I'm so glad you said that. I mean, look, Barry Bonds, we all know that anybody can argue about, you know, Barry in, in many different ways. Mm -hmm brilliant just a brilliant hitter right I mean he mm -hmm. just it's you know I mean the, and you could see it that pitchers didn't know what to do they he, he is he is one guy and that's why you you intentionally walk him 120 times in a year but <laughs> they literally did not know what to do against against him and and you had that for stretches I mean nobody's had it like Barry exactly but right. for stretches where you must have felt like there is no way to get me out. I mean, you know, yeah. at least, at least in, in my mind there, this is, I'm coming in with that mentality that this pitcher is in, in trouble, you know? No, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a video game. And it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you show up to the ballpark and you just know that no matter what they throw or where they throw it, it's <laughs> like somebody's in trouble. You know? and, and it's, it, it is, it's an, it's an amazing feeling to be able to, show up each day and just know like, Hey, all right, somebody who's pitching today. Okay. They're, they're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Ellen dive in here. Oh, I still, I have so many questions. Well, perhaps I, I really loved um, your breakdown of that particular um, those at bats so much, just sort of like the mental process of eliminating the different pitches is so fascinating because I feel like as a fan, one of the things that I love the most about watching baseball is like sort of watching the pitch sequencing and watching the like game of chess between the um the the batter and the pitcher i'm are there any other at bats that are like particularly memorable to you that way or have you already shared like one of your one of your favorite days um yeah i would say that was probably 
the 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 biggest um, with the with the three home runs. And then again, I mean, the the home run to the to the third deck off of uh, Martiz. Um, again, it's like you you just get into certain points and understand actually what a pitcher's strength is or what their best pitch is and they're going to want to try to get you with their best pitch a guy like a Tyler Clipper for instance was always had a really good changeup, and it was at certain points you know if you haven't seen it at some point it's going to come so it's just a matter of okay uh, yeah I'm going to look fastball like I said certain guys Tyler I would I would look straight knowing that the changeup could be coming unless I was like, okay, he threw me a fastball before and I fouled it off or whatever. Now I'm sitting change up. And if it's up, I'm, I'm going after it. So it's just understanding what um, a pitcher's strong suit is and knowing that at some point they're going to go to it. And then sometimes you just want to completely avoid it and just <laughs> not even get to it. Like a guy like a Scherzer or, or, or somebody who's got a good curveball, like, you don't even want to get to that. So the best thing to do is try to hit the straight pitch early on if you get a good one to hit. So <laughs> just eliminate. Don't, don't let them get to the good stuff. That's, that's scary to think that the, your best shot against Scherzer is 98. You know, you got to pick your poison with him. Do All you right. Go ahead. Oh, do you have a memory of the time that you – hit a home run a pinch hit home run after you'd like been in the hospital with like a 107 degree fever earlier that day or do oh, you not remember that because you had oh, a 107 degree fever that was in cincinnati yeah that was um yeah so that was in cincinnati i remember uh i think i had had like some bad white castle or something oh gosh and, uh, is there any other kind oh, man. really oh, man. you know what i'm a i'm a white castle fan well, I, like, I like it but it hurts you. St. Louis, it's like either you love it or you hate it. And I love it. I just got a bad batch. <laughs> got a bad batch that day. And, would, you, um, would you say with White Castle that every time you have White Castle, you're taking a little bit of a chance, right? Well, I mean, it's like, it's good, but eh, one out of 30, it's not going to be great. Well, you're rolling usually, a 30 sided dice. Yeah, that's, well, that's if you get the frozen ones and try to take them home and read oh, them. Yeah. yeah, you can't. That's just a, yeah, that's just a no no. <laughs> But um, I mean, yeah, just usually White Castles is like after a long night out, right? You know, and then yeah, you're you're gonna feel a little bit the next day, and then you bounce right back. This one, Here's yeah, this one just hung on <laughs> a little bit longer than I guess than I expected. But um, I remember going in that day, and I just was like not feeling good. Had a fever the whole nine. Told Charlie, I was like, Charlie, man, oh, I. I'm not feeling it right now, man. I'm just not feeling good. So he's like, well, all right, I'll put, you know, so-and-so in. And uh, we get down to the game and we're, we were losing. So I remember, I think it was like Eric Milton was pitching for the, uh, for the Reds. And he comes over to me. It's like the seventh inning or something like that. And he's like, hey, can you, can you, can you hit if we need you? It's like, I was like, man, I – yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> so, so I get up, I go up and go pinch hit. Like literally I'm telling myself, don't fall over and, oh, you know, wind up hitting a, a, a home run, tie the game. Right. So I'm like, Hey, all right. 
good good work for me today. All right, probably take it back in. Uh, <laughs> hey, we we need you to go to first. No. Now I'm like, oh, so I go to first <laughs> and come back up. My second at bat, I uh, forget that there was a reliever, another lefty reliever. And again, hey, let's just keep it together. Oh, and uh, boom, hit hit another home run that day. Wow. And put us put us up two to one. And, <laughs> and then we go back on defense. And the final out of the game, because he's my idol, Griffey hits a screaming line <laughs> drive right at me. Oh, God. And I'm just like, and I, and I kept it. And I'm just like, oh. It was like that game, I guess, when I felt like it was the game when Jordan had, when he had the Yes, field. yes. And I was just like, <laughs> but nobody was trying to carry me off the field. Nobody. <laughs> I was like, good job, man. <laughs> I love this. This is like, it's, it's, it's Jordan, it's Kellen Winslow when they were, when they carried him off the field of that Chargers game. Of the, yeah, the but nobody carried me off. No, you They're needed like, to be hey, carried off. Got it. I'm not trying to get sick. Hey, good job. <laughs> High five. That's baseball. <laughs> That's baseball for you. Oh, that was it. That was so it. great. All right. I have to ask you, sort of, is just, a, I know this is super general and been asked a million times, but how, how was it for you? How did you fall in love? with baseball what, what was um, what was the the turn for you I think as a little kid I was watching it and my parents were always like you would emulate and imitate like the the everything I saw on tv you know those little fat red plastic bats they had back in the day <laughs> mm. and I would just be standing there with my bat and just swinging in front of the television and then they my dad was like okay I think he likes baseball. And then once we started doing like T-ball and all that kind of stuff, my mom, my mom said that, uh, you know, she noticed like I hit the ball further than all the other kids. I liked it because I got to run outside and go get dirty and not get in trouble. Right. So, you know, that was always, that was always good, but it was just something that, um, you know, I guess just kind of came through and my, my grandfather actually uh, from my mom and my uncle uh, would tell me, like my grandfather was actually a good baseball player and had the opportunity huh. to go to the Negro leagues, um, but decided not to. Um, he grew up playing kind of in like some, some Alabama leagues and uh, had played against uh, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and those guys and had the opportunity to go to the Negro leagues. He had to decide between, you know, trying to go and, and play baseball or, you know, still staying and kind of supporting his family. And he was a coal miner. So, he stayed stayed back and wow and and stayed uh, coal mining. My uncle told me he said he said yeah man you just like your grandfather he said you either hit it out of the park or you gonna strike out. <laughs> like, I guess it it's runs in the, in the family. Yeah, I guess it runs in the family. I love that your mom was the first one that noticed that. Hey, you you seem to be hitting the ball farther than the other people. Like that's sort of like your first scout. Your first scouting report was yeah. seems to hit ball further than other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and when you were a little kid, were you specifically like emulating other people's batting stances? Is that, it was that? Um, yeah, I think so. Cause when I, when I really kind of started to figure out what I was doing, I was, I imitated Griffey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, took, I took the Griffey stance and, um, and yeah, it worked out. Everybody, yeah, but it don't sure you think, did. But don't you think everybody imitated the Griffey? I mean, like if you're if going you to were left-handed, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think most point, of, everybody did. Yeah, but most of most right-handers, most of all, in fact, almost every right-hander I know wanted to be left-handed so they could swing like Griffey. I mean, it's like oh, it yeah, wasn't, it was, you know, yeah. it, who else would you yeah. want to be, right? Yeah, it was smooth because my my guys early on were were Griffey, Bonds, and and Tony. Oh um, yeah, Tony mm. yeah. So it was, you know, it was, um, yeah, a little tried to have a little combination of 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 all three. It's very cool. It's particularly delightful to me because still, if somebody is just like, picture a batting stance, like picture a particular batting stance, Ryan, it's always yours that like is in my head indelibly. So that just the, the notion of then you being a little kid, picturing somebody else's batting stance is like very, very delightful to me. Well, Ellen, okay. do you see, do you see a little Griffey in that, in that, totally. in that swing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 100%. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Mission, mission accomplished. <laughs> goal, goal achieved. It's not bad. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I was very curious and very curious about, you know, how you fall in love with the game. Because I know one of the things that's really important to you uh, is the, the Players Alliance, which I know we're, we, we're going to talk a little bit about here. I see, unfortunately, our podcast people cannot see it, but you're wearing a T-shirt that I believe is a, yeah. it's a Players Alliance T-shirt there, which is very, very cool. And um, so, you know, I, I think I, I want you to explain the whole mission, but I know a big part of the mission is, is to, to bring the game specifically yeah. to, to a lot of people and, and have a lot more kids fall in love with the game. And, and well, why don't you sort of explain a little bit about it? We can yeah, about. It's, it's, a, it's a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. Right. Um, that's, there's more than 100 current and, and former black baseball players and it's basically like, you know, if people want to go and, and, and check it out uh, and supporters of the cause, because we're trying to raise more awareness in the black communities, trying to bring more, uh, bring baseball back to black communities and, and just bring more awareness, uh, social, you know, social justice, everything that we're trying to do, um, you know, having mentors, mentorships, programs, um, you know, there's been a bunch of black baseball players represented in the 2020 draft um, that we've been talking to having zoom calls and talking to um, as well as the yesterday we actually just had a, a zoom call with uh, the 2020 class of the Jackie Robinson uh, Foundation scholars Excellent. Um, and gear for good uh, equipment drive initiatives so it's really just trying to help revive and bring baseball back in the black communities and just help helping black communities as well as as well as bringing social change. What I love so much about it is that it is a multifaceted thing because it's mm -hmm. it's it's about bringing baseball back uh, in multiple ways. It's, it's bringing baseball back because, I mean, like you say, you're talking to Jackie Robinson scholars, talking about social justice, trying to have baseball have more of a voice in so many of these important things. But it is also sort of specifically about trying to get more uh, African-American kids to play baseball and be mm -hmm. a part of this game. Right. And, and, you know, so many theories are thrown about and in, in, in why uh, that's fallen off. And, and of course, when you were growing up, certainly when I was growing up uh, it was, it was, there was just a much larger presence in, in, in the African-American community. What, what do you think you guys can do? Like in, in, when it comes specifically to trying to get more kids to fall in love with this game, the way you did, 
what what can be done? What are what are some well, of the things you can do? Yeah, I think it's 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 that it's having these mentorship programs and it's being able to help these communities by either helping to refurbish field if it's providing yes. equipment. You know, if it's it's being there, being on the forefront. I mean, um, this whole thing was started with with Edwin Jackson, CC Sabathia, and Curtis Grandis, all great mm-hmm. great guys. And and you've got like I said, over a hundred. You know, myself kind of as a, as an advisor. Uh, Jimmy Rollins, Latroy Hawkins, and then you have like all the current black baseball players that are out there now that are all partaking, that are all standing up. And especially in this time that we have right now of, you know, social change and, and social and social injustice, this is that time. This is this is the, the time to be able to stand up and continue to have the voice and not not let it die down. And it's trying to help the, the, the future um uh, of, of baseball, helping these communities to be able to provide these kids the opportunity to play baseball, but also not just for the kids, you know, it's also trying to provide that social change and diversity in major league baseball. No doubt. You know, having more black coaches, more, more, more black general mm-hmm. managers, trying to have more black owners. So just trying to open up um, to, to, to change on all facets. How important do you think it is? And I think it's very important. So I'll say up front, but how important do you think it is for kids to be able to see themselves in the game? You know, to be able to see, you know, obviously, you know, for you, Ken Griffey and and Barry Bonds and Tony Gwynn, uh, being able to see not only, you know, great players, but somebody that you can sort of imagine yourself in the game. You see your own place in the game. And I think that's, so important with managers, with coaches, with GMs, I mean, everything like that. But how important is that when you're, when you're talking about trying to bring change? I think it's, I think it's extremely important um, mm-hmm. to be able to see, one, see someone that looks like you um, in a position of an owner or in a position of a manager or in a position even of a, as a player. I think it shows that, hey, I've got – options like I can I can do this if I can't necessarily play if I take care of my business you know maybe one I can own a team you know what I mean it just I think it just gives you the motivation and shows you there's another facet I mean when you look at football and you look at basketball there's people that look like me playing these sports all the time so automatically you're going to go and look to try to gravitate towards that Mm -hmm. where it's you know in baseball I think it's eight percent black players in in the game right now so i think when you can uh when you can look to try to institute change on that level especially on the the lowest levels of of providing the equipment because these kids want to play yes and you just with the way it is and i've had multiple conversations with people is like you know travel ball baseball is a very expensive sport expensive it is you know and you've got travel ball and and everything that takes place with that, because it, it's the leagues fall to the wayside because everything is basically about travel ball. Yeah. So it's when you're able to provide these kids with the, the equipment, the fields and, and, and keeping their leagues up and running to, to be able to play. And then they thus compete and have against the, the showcase teams or travel ball teams and all that kind of stuff, or have showcases that help, to get them seen, you know, because sometimes it's like the only way they can try to get seen is they got to try to get on a travel ball team. Yeah. So, and they can't afford to do that. So it's, it's really trying to be able to just 
help and, uh, and alleviate as much as we possibly can to get these kids back out there playing the game. It's, it's absolutely right. Alan? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I just, I really appreciate, I think that sort of the diversity of the way that the Players Alliance is looking at the problem um, insofar as sort of like starting on the ground level, working kind of like, you know, the, the RBI baseball program um, that I think Jimmy Rollins came through. Isn't that right? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah there's been a few guys I think that came through. I yeah. think, uh, I think CC, um, I think Dontrell as well. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah. But yeah, just like sort of having more programs like that, I think is absolutely crucial. And then also that the Players Alliance is also about, you know, just kind of like raising awareness and creating mentorships within um, Major League Baseball, I think is just really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious for you, like, did you, was there... Um, a black player who was sort of a mentor to you when you were coming up, not just about like what it means to be a baseball player, but like what specifically it means to be black and in baseball. Like in the professional ranks or yeah. just, yeah. I, I mean, I guess, I guess either. I think I was thinking the professional ranks, but I'm mm -hmm. sort of curious. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I think it's, I think it was because it was different. I think for me, as we kind of touched on, because I grew up in St. Louis so I watched the Cardinals. So right. they had Ozzie Smith, Terry mm -hmm. Pendleton, Vince Foreman, yes. Willie McGee, like all those guys on the team. So it's like you see all these guys that look like you, and it's like, oh, man, like that's so cool. But now it's like as I was getting older, so that was always ingrained in my mind. And then growing up watching Griffey, you know, and Bonds and Tony Gwynn and like all those guys, like that was always in my mind. Like, oh, there's black players. Mm -hmm. playing playing baseball so the guys that kind of helped me um big league wise or 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 just pro ball wise that kind of gave me some tutelage once I got kind of triple a was one was Marlon Bird who oh. just kind of taught me some of the ins and outs of um of like you know what it was like because he had been up and down and stuff like that and you know, the big league life. And then Jimmy took me in my first year uh, when I was up uh, the second part, the second time I came up in 2005. So he took me in and just kind of, you know, gave me tutelage and knowledge and stuff like that in terms of like how to carry yourself and, 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 and be a big leaguer. Mm -hmm. Were you, by the way, were you a big Cardinals fan as, as a kid or were you more of a, just a baseball fan? Um, I was a big Cardinals fan because okay. those teams were pretty good. Yeah, they were yeah. good. <laughs> but but at the same time, I was also a, a big baseball fan. Because, you know, back then we didn't get all 17,000 channels that we no. have now. It was no. like you had one national game on Saturday and then you used to watch, I think it was like it would come on after like this week in baseball. And uh, so we had the Cardinals games like all the time. And I always right? feel like – when we did go to games, it was either against the Giants or the Phillies, you know. So it was like, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. But I always enjoyed watching. Actually, I'm sorry. WGN, you always it was like yeah, got the Cubs, like the Nationals. So you always had the Cardinals and the Cubs <laughs> games. So whoever was playing between those two guys was 
was the amount of teams that we really got to watch. But you were not a big enough Cardinals fan, would you say, that when you got to the Phillies, it was weird playing the Cardinals? Or was it weird for you? No, it wasn't. Okay. Um, it was like, all right, you had your shot. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I grew up in your backyard. Yes. But... There's, a, there's, a funny, there's a funny story to that, too. Um, so my first year in pro ball, I was playing in Batavia, New York. And we were playing like the New Jersey team. So that's like short, short season right after I got drafted. And um, the manager of the New Jersey squad, because they were for the Cardinals, um, was from St. Louis. And so he came up to me like after, after the series, towards the end of the series, he's like, hey, I, uh, if you're back in St. Louis in off season and you need a place to hit, like I work out with um, – like Mike Matheny and John Mabry and, and Pujols, right? He's like, I throw to him. So if you want to come over, come on over. It's like, all right, cool. So I go over <laughs> and start hitting with them. Fast forward, you know, 2005, do what I do. 2006, do what I do, whatever. And the uh, GM at the time, I think it was like Marty Meyer, comes comes into one of the workouts, like off season, like we're hitting at uh, this college. And he's like, man, right? He's like, how do we miss you guys? I was like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I was like, never, because I went to, at the time, it was Southwest Missouri State, which is now yeah. Missouri State. I Missouri said, State? Never saw a Cardinal Scout at Missouri State. Oh, wow. There's never a Cardinal Scout. Wow. That's insane. He said, I was like, hey, don't know. Don't know how you did that. <laughs> but after that, they made sure there was Cardinal Scouts going down there. <laughs> and actually – Luke Voigt, um, who went to the same high school as I did, wow, Missouri State, was drafted by the Cardinals. Oh yeah, well yeah. you know they in Kansas City, nobody's ever forgiven them for missing Pujols twelve. Oh, right? well, Kansas City could have me and him. <laughs> they could have both. It was like we could have, we could have been like Poppy and Manny of, of Kansas. Yes, you would, that, you would have been, been fun. World Series pennants, hanging pennants. All right, last question because I because I want to talk a little <laughs> bit of of current baseball, but I, I I looked it up, so I've been I was looking it up. It looks to me like you had two career home runs on a three zero pitch. Okay, oh, so <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> which is which is funny. You actually hit like four thirty or something uh, on three zero pitches. So two questions: one, did you like like getting? I mean, I I know that you pretty much probably had the the go sign on the hit sign on three Oh, pretty much throughout mm -hmm. your career. Did you like hitting three Oh? And then obviously well, I'm going to want to ask you about Tatis. Yeah. So to that, I would say the three Oh green light was probably the only green light I would ever get because <laughs> there was no base stealing. And uh, I used to always look at, I used to look at Juan Samuel when he was a third coaching third. And I'd be like, you know, Juan, just give me some courtesy sign. You know, I'd be on courtesy signs or something, man. I'd be like, we had this whole thing back and forth. And I'd look at him. I was like, Juan, what's like, give him a head nod. And Juan would just kind of turn around and just cover his face. I'm like, man, why are you going to disrespect me like that, man? That's messed up, bro. So that was the only green light I would get would be hitting 3-0. Um, but you know what? It all really depended on how on how I felt. If yeah. I felt good with the bat, then I would say, yeah, I would, I would, I would look to swing. If I didn't feel so good, I would want to kind of, you know, just uh, gauge one, and then 
all right, see if they come back with a with another fastball and then then look to swing. That's interesting. It's like almost like looking for more information, right? I mean, especially yes. you as a you know, okay, so let's let's see what else they're gonna do. Um, all right, but how do you feel? So so you know, I think everybody knows Tatis, Fernando Tatis, who's one of the most exciting young players we've seen come into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit a grand slam on a 3-0 with the with his uh, with the Padres up 10 to 3 up by seven runs in the eighth inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he missed the 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 take sign. And both managers kind of took him a little bit to task about that. How do you feel? I mean, you know, it, like it, I know it's, I know there are all sorts of unwritten rules in the game, right? But it feels like I'd rather, I want to see Fernando Tatis swing. I mean, yeah. I, you know, as a fan, that's kind of what I want. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> I know it's a tough we're, one. We're being honest here. <laughs> Don't get to three <3-0. laughs> zero. Like, I mean, look to to me, it's. It's, it's a tough situation because, yeah, there's these unwritten rules of the game, and I understand that the game was, was a little bit out of hand, or, and then he hits a grand slam. But I, it, it's tough, man. I mean, and, and like I said, a guy who's swinging a bat is as good as he's swinging it yeah. right now. It's – I mean, it's kind of par for the course because if he swings 3-0 and he hits a ground ball, you know, double play or whatnot and ends the inning, is everybody mad? Right. I mean, his, his manager's probably upset. Yeah. But, you know, the, the Rangers manager isn't. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very touchy thing. I mean, you got 60 games yeah. that you're playing. I yeah. mean, I, honestly, I, I think, and you guys can chime in on this, I think there should be a 10-run rule. Yeah. After, after seven. <laughs> I mean, you get your, you get your gate. You know, they, they, they get their gate and all that kind of stuff. Alcohol stops being served after the seventh inning or whatnot. Right. And you save you save pitchers, you save players and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the only people that would want to either potentially continue to play is the one guy on the team that's winning that hasn't gotten a hit yet because there's always one. Right. And, and, uh, but other than that, it's when you get to a point where a game is out of reach like that, like everybody's like, all right, let's just, you know, hey. They, this game is is done. Let's just come back out tomorrow. I first of all, I agree with that. I, we'll get Ellen in a second here, but I agree with that. Especially if you're going to say, "Hey, we're not going to play all out anyway." You know, I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna hold people back. But I really love what you said right at the beginning, and I know that you sort of you don't want to. You know, I we all none of us want to make anybody mad or whatever, but. Don't get to three L. I'm sorry. I mean, it's like I know people were saying, "Well, it's like running up the score in football." First of all, it's not. We know it's it, baseball is a very different sport. Secondly, look if the other team throws a, a, an interception and you're up 45 points, and you have a pick six opportunity, are you supposed to like take a knee and not score the right. touchdown? I mean, three O, you put yourself in that position. I, I, why are we crippling the batter and not letting right. not letting the batter swing away? So. I mean, I- yeah, I, I just think that, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough situation. I find it kind of it's like if unless in this certain point they say, hey, you know what, everybody take a strike. Yeah. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Um I, I find it hard to believe that he missed the take sign. <laughs> if he was looking at if you're looking at the third base coach. Yeah. In between pitches, you got bases loaded. I mean, there's not really – usually 
most most coaches will be like (laughs) it won't even be a sign it's just a you miss this there's a problem um so i mean i I can understand either where you know the the managers are, are are upset and this and that or whatever but i mean hey he wanted he's feeling good you he wanted to hit and this this game is a game of of runs you go on, on, yeah. on stretches and i mean yeah it's it is what it is right now i yeah. mean look yeah. as a as a fan i want to see fernando tt swing the bat yeah. that's what yeah. I, I don't want to see him i don't want to see him take pitches not interested uh, and, and 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 not that i'm condoning throwing at people or anything like that but i'm like what did machado do he threw behind machado <laughs> I mean, what did, what did, uh, it's like what did he do it's it's like dude look if you're gonna do that, like, don't hit that guy. Yeah, come I mean, on. like, if you're if you if you're Tatis, I would expect the next time I go up, there's a good chance I'm gonna get hit. And you know what you do? You just take it, go to first. And unlike me, he could probably still second and third. You make him pay for it that way. <laughs> All right, Alan, where are you on this? Oh, God, I have so many things to say. Uh, <laughs> one, The first thing is that I really appreciate it. I wanted to share, if you guys hadn't seen it, um, that Eduardo Rodriguez tweeted, um, and I looked it up, quote, you just have to pitch better if you don't want that to happen. I never see that rule. And I take myself as an example because I'm the king of the 3-0 counts, <laughs> which I really uh, loved as him being sort of like, humble about that situation. Um, And I think that like, Joe, you and I on this podcast have talked about my proposed mercy rule, which would be that if a team is up by like nine or more runs, that then they only get two outs in subsequent innings. Um, Also, I'd be a fan for just being like, yes, let's just put this game out of its misery. This team is up by 10 runs. I totally get that. Well, what good happens when you're up 10 runs? I mean, there's a chance that you're, that the other team is going to use a position player to pitch. There's, you know, yeah. every, everybody is, you know, the bullpen is completely drained and you, you usually going to have to leave somebody out there to just sort of pitch more pitches than they want because right. you, you got to get through it. I mean, it's, nothing really great happens in, in these blowout games. So uh, it feels to me, and especially if we're going to have – look, I, I have no problem at all with the Padres manager being ticked off that he missed a sign. I mean, that's – you know, mm-hmm. as a manager – look, I wouldn't have given him the take sign, but as a manager, if you give somebody the take sign, they have to, they have to live up to that. I have no problem with that. I have a big problem with the Rangers, the way the Rangers uh, handled it. I, I just have a really – I have a big problem throwing behind Machado. I had nothing to do with it. I have a big problem with them being so offended, like 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 they're bestilled their little hearts that that they that they fell behind 3-0. I mean, if he hit a 3-1 fastball out, would that have been okay with them? I mean, it's right. it's right. it's it's so silly. It's so yeah. silly to me. Well, and if guys are playing a game, they should be allowed to continue to play the game. So kind of like if there's gonna be an unwritten rule about a team that's up supposed to be merciful, then like where do you draw the line is it kind of like uh, are you supposed to tell your pitchers like look they're down 10 runs so you should really give them a pitch to hit if they've got two strikes against them like that's the inverse of this rule and like you would never see that so yeah if they're if they're playing a game they should get to play a game 
Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. also have to ask, this is on a slightly different topic, but Ryan, I wonder if you will settle an argument between me and Keith Law. Yes. Does, does the hot hand exist? Are there times where you're like, yes, I feel better. Like I'm seeing things better. I'm swinging the bat better. Or is it all just like, you know, numbers sort of eventually sorting themselves out? There's, I mean, over the course of 162 games, numbers will wind up potentially being what they're going to be. But it's, it's a game of, like I said, it's a game of stretches. You go through hot stretches and then you go through cold stretches. It's, it's, it's the thing of, I used to have these conversations with Lance Berkman at first base all the time. Mm-hmm. And we were like, dude, what, what happens to your swing when, when it just goes? Like if you're, you you can go three for four the night before and then go 0 for four the next day with three, four punch outs and not even know what just happened. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a game of, of stretches where again, like a guy like a Tatis right now is he's, he's on a hot stretch yeah. and with 60 games and you're trying to make postseason and, and play for all that stuff. Like you ride that out as, as long as you possibly can because you don't know when it's going to kind of taper off because eventually it will, it will taper off. So um, Mm -hmm. that's just, that's just how it is. But to answer the question, I mean, I really, I really think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's really tough because you, it's a little bit of both because over the course of 162 game season, your numbers are going to wind up where they are because you're going to have good stretches and bad stretches. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you do have a bit of a hot hand where, you know, there's a guy like right now, Tatis again, he's, you, you can basically say he's carrying the, the Padres. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, but then when he kind of fades out or fades, you know, kind of fades off a little bit or cools off a little bit, then it's like, all right, now this is where my teammates kind of carry me until I get get back going again. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, we have got to let Ryan go, but before we do, I'm going to ask you a question, Alan, with Ryan right here, so so that you, I, I feel like, uh, so that I'm extra nervous. No, no. So that I feel because I I know what your answer. I feel like I know what your answer is going to be, and and I want Ryan to hear it. Where does Ryan's 2006 MVP 58 home run season rank in your memories of Philly seasons? It's, I mean, it's one of the best seasons of all time. It's one of my favorite seasons that has ever existed. <laughs> She's going to start crying. She is, right? She's going to start no, no, crying. No. And, and like the thing that I can say to back this up that I'm not just saying this right now because I'm on this podcast with you is that I was asked when I was on MLB Network the most recent time, like, who do you think had the like greatest win probability added in any single Philly season? And I was like, Oh, I think it's Ryan Howard in 2006. And I was right. <laughs> awesome. That is so awesome. yes. Oh, I know. I know how special that season, Ryan, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be with oh, us here. No this problem. was a blast. Thank it you has definitely, so this was so much fun. It's worth my next four birthdays for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ellen, it's time for one of our delightful commercial uh, ad uh, reads. Isn't this exciting? Yes. This is <laughs> like one of my favorite parts. This is, this is. I mean, is, it doesn't compare to, talk to talking to Ryan Howard, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. So 
Uh, our instructions, as always, are to please use the intro idea prompts as inspiration, or we encourage you to ad lib based on your experience with earnest. <gasps> our, our ad is for earnest. Uh, items highlighted in yellow are mandatory to read. So I don't see any yellow. So I hopefully, we, oh wait, no, there is some yellow. I'll get to that later. All right, here we go. Here's our intro ideas and prompts. Now's the time to get your student loan payments under control. That's a, that's a strong prompt right there. Uh, apparently you could be saving by refinancing your student loans with earnest. Well, I mean, this is perfect because I have always wanted to love someone of the name of Ernest. <laughs> I do. So do we think that their name is, is the name of the person that started the company or do we think they're just being earnest? Is that the whole, are they using earnest as sort of the noun version of this? I, I mean, guess it wouldn't be a noun. I guess it would be a, a, an adjective. I feel like they're relying on, uh, on a, Yes, this associations that we have with the word earnest of being sincere and truthful, and also that you sort of have that little word earn in there. Ah, so it's sure, sort sure. of like capitalist at the same time. Okay, but well, it's me... like it's like you know capitalism under the guise of sincerity, which is really like America of, of being earnest. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, uh, one more idea and prompt. Even though we got a lot out of that first idea prompt, we did. here we go. I love my high student loan payments, said no one ever. How do you feel about the said no one ever construct? I mean, it checks out as far as I have personally seen in my I life. Have, I have not. I would say Although, no one ever. You know what? It. I don't know if your prompt says anything about whether somebody could say that sarcastically and whether or not that would count as ha somebody having said it. Because I feel like somebody probably did actually say... Pfft. I love my high student loan payments, right? Okay, so basically it should say, I love my high student loan payments, said no one ever unironically. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so let's see if we can get that uh, added there, Ernest. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you can reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Ernest, even if you've refinanced before because of today's low rate environment. There you go. Low rate environment. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. To start, complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. Then you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit store, credit score, or credit store, whichever one you Either like one. better. Yeah, they both yeah. apply. <laughs> Want to change your monthly payment? Combine many loans into one easy payment or get a better rate? Earnest makes it easy. All right, how do we do this? Oh, wait, and there's a call to action here. And oh. now you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with earnest.com slash promo here. <laughs> the promo is podcast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T. <laughs> but I wanted to read promo here because I feel like I that's what I do. I loved your little like devil may care laugh <laughs> as you read promo here. You're like, I'm just crazy enough I'm to not just, read our I, promo. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you the promo. I'm just going to say promo here. Once again, you get $100 cash bonus when you refi. Ah, refi. Go refinance a little, a little, a little cooler by saying refi. <laughs> Your student loan at earnest.com slash promo here. Not available in all states. The uh, promo is, is podcast again, P-O-S-C-A-S-T. Visit earnest.com slash podcast for more details. Term and conditions apply. 
Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 124917. California Financing Law License Number 6054788, 303nd Street, Suite 401N, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states. I mean, this all just really drives home the importance of having Ernest. It really drives home the importance of not giving me something like this to read because- Actually, I would love for you to read any random string of numbers. <laughs> Like particularly if if it's not what if what if somebody wrote in and said you know my favorite part was when you said Ernest Operations LLC NMLS number one twenty four nine one seven like they were like that was the best part of the whole show oh, that they're probably me, a Braves fan I would I would desperately hope that somebody will tweet that to me all right all right it's uh, Ernest uh, Ernest dot com slash podcast. Okay, Ellen. So we just had Ryan Howard on the podcast. I mean, how are you feeling? How are you faint? I mean, how how do you feel? I I sort of feel like I maybe just ate a bunch of White Castle burgers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like such I'm, a bad I'm feeling. I no, I feel like in a sort of like what's 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 happening to me right now. <laughs> It's sort of like I've rolled the dice, but what's it going to be? Yes, yes. I mean, a thing, a thing about White Castle burgers is it's like they're good if you want to eat a lot of something. Right. If, you, if you're like, I don't want to just eat one burger. I want to eat many burgers. Then you can feel like you've accomplished that. Really, let's face it. Uh, there's there's nothing good to be said for white. I mean, look, if you're in college or you're just out of college, and you know your body is basically indestructible, uh, sure, White Castle's delicious. I, I would I just being in the same room as White Castle now would set me off. I I, I can't. I mean, that's a that's a that's that's those are those are olden days, the White Castle days for me. But you yeah, know, Brian. Ryan is a, you know, a young, look, let's put it this way. Ryan Howard at the peak of his physical condition, one of the best baseball players in the world in that particular moment in time. And White Castle still took him out. I mean, you know, you, that's, you cannot, you cannot underestimate the, the, the power of White Castle. That's what is what I'm saying. So uh, I don't know where to go uh, for us next, Alan. I mean, you know, this is your next four birthdays. I mean, if I get Aaron Nola to come on this podcast, then 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 what? Then would would that literally just be the end of you? Like where where where, where would we be at that point? Yeah, I'd probably die. Um, <laughs> happily though, happily. happily yes, no, but like out of a, like joyous rapture. Like yes. like yes. I I I would die, but it would be because I was like lifted straight into heaven. Um, yeah, that's good. And I mean. And undoubtedly, at the least, and like in either case, it would definitely set me for birthdays for the entire rest of my life. But like that could also be said if I died and was lifted straight into heaven. That basically it would be like all the rest of my birthdays would be checked off. <laughs> it would still be so, checked yes. off uh, yeah. in in both ways. See, I really appreciate you holding back because I know deep down what you really wanted to do was basically say, "Okay, Ryan." On July 22nd, 2007, you did this. Tell me what you were thinking. Okay, on July 23rd, like I just thought you would basically go day by day through his entire career 
uh, and 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 tell him what each of those moments meant to you. So I appreciate you sort of holding back, realizing that even for the podcast, we have some sort of time limit. I just really felt like I didn't want to make it that much about me. Oh, um, yeah. I but it is like... about you. It's it, everything <laughs> in in the best of ways is about you, Ellen. You know that. So, all right. Uh, but do we did we cover this three zero fiasco with Fernando Tatis enough, or do we need to just hammer that home one more time? Because uh, I just I wrote a piece for the Athletic uh, that you can that you can see that sort of expressed my my sort of disgust with the whole. The fact, you know what bothers me? Okay, let's talk about this in a larger context. It bothers me that the times that baseball tends to trend uh, or tends to sort of be, uh, you know, in the conversation is one, when people are highlighting how bad the, you know, pandemic response was and has Mm. been, or two, when some unbelievably archaic and, infuriatingly illogical uh unwritten rule sort of emerges from the cert to the it's you know it's it's like it's like all of these you know and i hate even using the term but it's like all of these karen videos you know like like they all go they all go viral whenever you see you know somebody you know throwing food in in a grocery store because they're making them use wear a, a mask to to protect society and and it's almost like that's the only time baseball ever gets like to 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 sort of be in the in the mainstream is when people discover some sort of you know get off my lawn type rule that uh, that that makes the game considerably worse, like telling Fernando Tatis to not swing when he's the hottest hitter on earth. I, I that's sort of my beef with this whole thing yeah i mean you did forget when everybody was like very mad because the astros were banging on trash that's true that's true. cheating also puts them in the limelight yes that's true yes that is true and like to me and i think perhaps you're bringing up the karen video is uh is a helpful illustrative point i don't feel like this has to do with baseball so much as it has to do with humanity whether or not that is like um humanity in general or humanity in 2020 or perhaps more specifically humanity in 2020 on twitter right but like outrage is greater than joy like is is a a sad truth um in terms of like what gets people's attention so i i yeah i don't know that I feel like this is one time that I'm going to be like, I don't know that this is particularly baseball's problem. <laughs> no, well, no, no, it's not, except for it's it's such a self-inflicted wound because it's baseball didn't need to be screaming about wearing a mask in public. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't right. need managers coming out. If Fernando Tatis is exactly what baseball should be celebrating right now, should yeah. be selling right now, should be... Fernando Tatis should be everywhere in baseball's promotional efforts and their efforts to reach out to people and their efforts to, to make it sound like, Hey, look, we know this is uh, an unusual season. There's nothing we can do about that, but Hey, we're, you get to see Fernando Tatis play, right? Like this is, this is what the game should be absolutely celebrating on the highest level. And instead you got, cranky old managers they're not even that old 
yakking about him swinging 3-0 because then they were up seven runs and I gave him that. Well, why would you give him the take sign ever? He should never, Fernando Tati should never have the take sign ever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's absurd. I mean, the only time you'd want to give him the take sign is if it's like a tie game and the bases are loaded and you're like, look, we, we got to give the pitcher a chance to walk him or something. I mean, like that's, I could see that kind of take sign, but a take sign because like you don't want him to hit a home run is, is so annoying and so frustrating as a baseball fan. It's like, do you remember why we love this game? Do you remember why we love this game? Yeah, no, it, it's it, like, I actually had a moment of like trying to get my head around this controversy <laughs> because I feel like the reason to be angry about somebody taking, not taking a pitch when they were supposed to take a pitch is that normally, it, exactly as you said, the point is that you're supposed to do a good thing for your team by right. getting on base. But like ultimately the fury was about he did a very, very good thing for a team <laughs> right. and he got himself on every single base and all of his teammates who were already on bases also got to be on every single base. <laughs> so like the two things don't even quite no. align. I, and I do like to your point, I also understand like, yes, a ball player is supposed to do what their manager asked them to do. Right. You know, like that is their, their like captain in the army in the war that is baseball and they're supposed to just obey orders. So I sort of understand that, but like every, every other annoyance about this situation is actually just a logical fallacy. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, and it's annoying that he gave him, look, I, if you give him the take sign, he should take, I mean, that's, that is the reality of the game. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, it's, it, you would hope that there's a good reason they're giving him the take sign. And, and, uh, and, and so you should take because you should trust your manager that he is doing the things that are going to help the team win. But this take sign had nothing to do with helping the team win. It had absolutely no relevance. It was basically, we don't want to, hit a home run here and put the other team down by even more. We don't want to run up the score or whatever the heck that means in baseball. Uh, we don't want to give the fans the thrill of watching you swing the bat. We, you know, it's the everything. So, so yeah, I don't blame the manager for being mad at him for refusing to, to uh, uh, for not following the sign, but I am mad at the manager for giving him the sign in the first place. And then, like I say, the Rangers reaction to that thing is, you know, it's at, at times I think people forget why they're playing the game. You know, yeah. they're not playing the game uh, for, for any other reason other than the fact that lots and lots and lots of people are watching the game to enjoy it. I mean, that's it. That's what professional baseball is. And, and I, it's like no decisions seem to be made based on the idea of making baseball more enjoyable for fans. It's always based on, on, you know, various strategies to win, which of course fans want their team to win. So, so that's a part of this thing, but it's, it's also entertainment and fun and joy. And, and, you know, I just, I cannot get my arm, I, you know, a couple of years ago, do you remember, I remember, I think it was Matt Carpenter. He was Matt Carpenter, right? Matt Carpenter, had a game where he had three homers and two doubles by the fifth inning or sixth inning or something. Remember that? 
that may, that might have even been last year. Oh, I don't and think it was last year. It was last couple of now. I'm just, you know, Ellen, I'm old and nothing. Everything is always longer ago than I think it was. Everything in my I mean, entire the, life. The same is even true for me now as well. Yes. <laughs> but you're not old. Um, but yeah. So anyway, Matt Carpenter gets pulled. It was a little while ago. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I could not believe that. And, you know, and, and the argument was, well, you know, the game was out of hand that we were going to win, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, don't you want to give those fans a thrill? Don't you want to give your fans an opportunity? He had a chance to hit four home runs in a game. He had a chance to hit four home runs and two doubles and like basically have the greatest day any hitter has ever had in baseball history. He had a chance to make the tickets to that game like, like actual souvenirs that people would frame. I mean, he had an opportunity to give Matt Carpenter a moment that nobody would ever forget. Maybe he would be on like the Tonight Show or something. I mean, like it was so much and it didn't even cross their minds. It didn't even because because they don't think about the fact that this game is about entertaining the fans. And 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 so that's why for me, the Fernando Tatis thing speaks to a much larger issue, which is NBA seems to understand what their game is about. The NFL seems to understand what their game is about. Baseball, sometimes I think they, I don't think they understand what the game is even supposed to be about. Yeah. I mean, part of me feels like I have personally attended a number of Phillies games that they have lost like 21 to two. And <laughs> I did not like see these concessions, nor did I feel personally cheated as a fan that I was not given them. Um, but I, I do feel like it's, astonishing that like Fernando Tatis leads the majors in home runs right it's now. So good. It's incredible. You know, incredible. like Mike Trout has been 100% Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis is like better than Mike Trout right now. <laughs> and Fernando Tatis, number one, should be allowed to have that. Right. You know, I always feel like players should be allowed to play for their own stats, but also like Padres fans should be allowed to have that. And I think to your larger point, I think that Absolutely. Baseball needs to allow players to be themselves more. Yes. And to like have more personality, whether that's like the way that they play or sort of like the things that they're allowed to say that do not have to do with baseball or like things that they're allowed to wear or whatever. I mean, I know that this is sort of like a, a kind of campaign of sorts that Trevor Bauer has had. Right. And I always kind of feel like I have eaten White Castle when I agree with Trevor <laughs> Bauer, but like I agree with Trevor Bauer on this. I think that the game is so much stronger when we get a sense for who these human beings are. And, you know, I think in a way, my hope has been in 2020, seeing a lot of players being more outspoken about anything, whether that's like Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, the state of the game in a COVID season or whatever, I've kind of been tentatively hopeful that that is a movement towards players being allowed to express their own views more um, sure. and not sort of just being told, this is exactly what you have to tell the media. You have to keep your head down. You have to do this. You have to just, you know, shut up and play. And and it's sort of, sometimes I 
worry that instead of that that's merely the appearance of that happening and instead it's just been sort of like oh no now actually you're just also allowed to talk about this because that is like de rigueur these days instead of being like no really we want you to be you so it's kind of an unsettled question in my mind but i do think that yes like obviously baseball would be so much better if like whatever like flip your bat and or like run around the bases really slow or like do whatever you want to do be you it makes it more fun yeah i mean let the let the players play i i also think by the way there's sort of one final point on this uh, if there are going to be unwritten rules like this one uh you, you might want to write them down because yes fernando tatis clearly did not know the rule and as fernando tatis pointed out his father played in the big leagues. He grew up around the game and he is just hearing about this rule for the first time in his entire life. You know I mean? It's, it's not like, uh, it's not like he's just like, Oh, you know, he's a rookie or whatever. I mean, you know, his, his dad was in the big leagues for like 15 years or something, 10 years. And, and he grew up in, in the game and, he was like, well, it's a new one on me. I mean, it's, it's, I think I think maybe if if there really are these rules, which apparently only managers seem to know right now, but if there really are these rules, then uh, uh, let let people know. You know, have a meeting or something and, yeah. and tell, tell people. Um, and by the way, one of the unwritten rules should be you don't throw behind Manny Machado because you're ticked off about that stuff. By the way, that's that should also be an, an unwritten rule that you don't throw behind the next batter to express displeasure with the other guy crushing your soul i mean i i it really the whole thing is infuriating to me yeah it really is it really is yeah but you know what go ahead i i think no i think that you're absolutely right i don't think there should be any unwritten rules like if it's a rule then you should write it down and i feel like don't throw behind somebody's head is a very acceptable (laughs) written rule like i don't believe that that should happen to anybody even if it leads to like such joy as a joe kelly pouty face exactly well the joe kelly pouty face is is indescribably great as we know (laughs) the throwing behind the guy was dumb i hate it yeah that was no good more pouty faces less throwing behind people totally for the baseball I say, and and not only just pouty face, but but if you want to, every single time an Astros batter swings and misses, everybody wants to yell in unison. Well, it's not so easy when you don't know what's coming. That's fine. I I mean, like I'm I'm all for any kind of verbal uh, abuse that you want to throw. I mean, within within the confines of good taste uh, that you want to throw on the Astros. I don't have any problem with any of that. Don't don't throw at a guy's head. With I would a 90 love mile an hour fastball. Come on. I would love to see pitchers start playing fake violins on the mound. No, absolutely. <laughs> In fact, I'd be for real violins. Just have the pitching coach come out with a real violin and just play a little, just a little tune, just a little song, you know. Uh, that would be, see, I'm all for, of course, quickening the pace, but I'm all for adding time to the game if it's for stuff like that. Yes, you know, yeah. You, you just, just keep the violin behind you, right behind the rosin bag or something. and just Yeah, you know, I mean – in a COVID season, everybody's going to have to have their own violin, yes, and that's fine. Yes, of course. It doesn't have to be an like exceptional well, quality violin. And also, I in think fact, it should be really small, right? Because yeah. you should play the world's smallest violin. That's part of the that's part of the gag. Yeah. Ideally, yeah. it should be small. And I think there are no <laughs> stipulations about whether or not the player can actually play the violin. No, like, if not they at just all. Sort of do a like screech, 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 screech. Um, I think that that is perhaps even preferable. <laughs> 
I, I think we have, we have, we have solved all of baseball's problems as we always have. All right. Uh, all right. One, this is one last opportunity for you to, to, to say this. Ryan Howard, is this cool? Was this cool or what? It was, it was so cool. I think my perhaps greatest um, L'Esprit d'Escalier was not asking him about, uh, about how he feels about Dick Allen's number being retired, which I think oh. is wonderful. Because, yes. of course, my hope is that Ryan How- Howard's number also gets retired. <laughs> it will. Ryan Howard's number is definitely going to get retired. Still the fastest player in baseball history to 1,000 RBIs. Yes, and I think 250 home runs as well as 100 and 200. I'm not 100% on that. I'm saying that off the top of my head, but I believe that to be true. Well, it's going to when Fernando Tatis, uh, if assuming they allow him to swing, breaks those records, uh, that's fine. But we don't know. They might not let him swing. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's obviously really cool watching Fernando Tatis take pitches. That's really, really fun. Super fun. Yeah. All right, it's time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast whoa, it's one last whoa. Would you like to start? Would you like to go first? Do you have something for us? Sure, yeah. So Every Sunday night, um, we play Jackbox games via Zoom with friends and family. And it has become like a really, like a time in the week that my husband and I really look forward to, to sort of socialize with people while getting to play games. Never invited us. I mean, would you like to play Jackbox games with us? Sure. Of course I would. Margo and I would love that. Yes. Okay. All right. Absolutely. We will, we will (laughs) add you to our list. Um, So normally Zoom somehow activates every part of myself that is awkward and uncomfortable, but this is different and I enjoy it. Um, Anyway, that in and of itself is not the meaningless thing. The meaningless thing that is particularly delightful to me are the moments when Aaron Nola has become involved in quiplash answers because it feels to me sort of like an extension of me mentioning Aaron Nola in every single one of our Take Me Into the Ball Game podcasts. Right. So there's a couple that I'm just going to share. Um, one was, I couldn't believe my luck to get the prompt, a new baseball tradition you would like to see in the seventh inning, and then you fill in the blank. And the winning answer was him to Aaron Nola. Um, that is H-Y-M-N, by the way. Him. Yes, him to Aaron Nola, sure. And then another one was the answer to the worst thing to hear from your spouse. I'm leaving you for fill in the blank. And the winning answer was, in fact, Aaron Nola. Sure. Um, anyway, it's been pretty delightful that he's become like a meme in our group, even amongst people who don't really know who Aaron Nola is, because this is the force of my love for Aaron Nola. I could see the, the uh, person you would leave your spouse for uh, answer uh, being Aaron Nola would be number one on the family feud board. Like I, I could see that. Like they would, they would be like, you know, like number two would be like Brad Pitt or, or, yeah. or Scarlett Johansson or something. But number one would be Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola. I, I yeah. think that's, I think that's yeah. fair. I think and it's everybody would be like thing. that change up. I mean, <laughs> seriously. I think you ask all Americans, they're like, oh my God, Aaron Nola's cha- throwing his change up 30% of the time? 
So he's throwing his two seamer even more. It's Aaron Nola. That's yeah. everybody's been. First of all, that's been all the talk is is how much more he's throwing the changeup. But secondly, do you feel like Aaron Nola would be like totally into you expressing your love for him at every moment of every day of every week of every month, or do you feel like he would be embarrassed by it? That's a great question. It, it um, speaks to what kind of person you think he is. Both, neither one wrong, by the way. I'm not, you know, different people respond differently, you know, but I'm just saying based on what you know about Aaron Nola, would he be like, oh yeah, I'm totally into it. Or would he be like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little taken aback. I think he'd be secretly pleased. Yeah, I, I, I think Aaron Nola, Aaron Nola seems bold to me. He seems like a bold individual. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of like, obviously Aaron Nola was my favorite baseball player even before this happened. Sure. But the, the thing that really just like, I just pushed my love for Aaron Nola over the top was that for my mom's birthday last year, which it is, it is coming up uh, soon this year. Happy early birthday to my mom. Sure. Um, we went to a Phillies game and I uh, sort of pulled whatever small strings I have to get us uh, field access so that we could see BP. However, there was no BP on that day. So we just stood on the field being like, this is cool. We've never been on the field before. Sure. And we saw Aaron Nola in the dugout, like taking pictures with a, with a group of people, some, you know, I don't know, philanthropic type of a thing. Right. And just, uh, I had uh, my husband take a pic picture of me with very teeny tiny Aaron Nola <laughs> far away because I thought it was the closest that I would ever be to Aaron Nola. And we were just still sort of standing there taking things in. We were the only people on the field. And then he walked out of the dugout and came over to say hi to us. And it was the nicest thing like I could possibly imagine. He didn't have to do that. It's not like we stopped him and we were like, hey, Aaron, would you sign this thing? And he like talked to us for a little while. And, you know, he signed things for all three of us. And he was the nicest. And I told him, like, you're one of my five favorite people that I don't actually know. But I don't know now that I've met you, do I have to move you off the list? And he just kind of like chuckled and looked down. And I was like, ah, I'll leave you on the list. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the real life anecdote that I, that I have to. Well, that's, that speaks to potentially Aaron Nola, first of all, the, the bold nature of him coming out and saying hello. Indeed, is, yes. Is, speaks to him being, uh, him sort of embracing uh, the, the extreme love uh, that you and Eric uh, throw his way. Uh, but then the looking down uh, sort of in that, I don't know, was he confused by your, by your point or, or do you think he was just sort of in an aw shucks sort it was of an, way? It, it, it was an aw shucks vibe that I okay. got. And All like, right. maybe I'm just projecting that, but no, he was like, I mean, he might've even said like, oh, that's nice or like something <laughs> like all right. Well, Aranola, yeah. you know, Aranola oh. has a special place on. on yeah, I don't know. Podcast. I don't know. I would like to imagine that if he ever read the poem that I just wrote about his pitching mix, that he would be pleased. I think um, so. Yeah, I think so. By the way, Ryan Howard moves off the people you don't know list. Now you know him. So, so Ryan Howard now becomes one of your favorite people that you know. That that I do kind of know. I know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, no, it's I think that's great. 
All right. My one last meaningless thing is uh, I have a look. I, I realize I'm one of hundreds of millions of billions of people around the world, I guess, who has this this issue. But I have this this weird thing that happens probably more to me than than maybe other people uh, where I simply cannot remember a word that that I'm thinking of. I, I know that does happen to everybody. There probably is some some word for that feeling of not being able to remember uh, a word. And so I, I have this, you know, I have this technique when I'm writing, particularly, I always have a thesaurus right next to me, uh, you know, online, not a, not a, not a book. Like who would, who would <laughs> use lame. one of those? Oh my gosh. No, an actual online thesaurus. I always have it on one of my screens. <laughs> and, and then I think of words that that are you know at least reasonably close synonyms to the word I'm trying to think of, and then I look through it, and usually I'll find the word. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have to go through various uh, means to try to figure out the word. Um, I had the strangest one of these uh, a couple of days ago, where I could not remember the word embargoed. I could not, for the life of me, remember the word. <laughs> I just couldn't think of it. I, 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 it was, you know, it's related to, uh, to this uh, campaign that we're working on. You know, I, I, I do want to say thank you to everybody again for the extraordinary response to the tip your cap to the Negro leagues campaign, which uh, was amazing. It uh, is amazing. It's still sort of still going on, but on Sunday, major league baseball uh, had a special tribute day to the Negro leagues, 40, mayors across the country tip their caps to the Negro Leagues. And uh, my my dear friend and brother, Bob Kendrick, over at the museum, got to throw out the first pitch, uh, virtually throw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field uh, to Billy Williams. I mean, it, there was just all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things that went with it. If I can say very briefly, a friend of mine also has a petition on change.org to rename the yes. uh, MVP award after Josh Gibson instead of Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Yes. So take a look for that. If you don't find it by Googling it, I also posted uh, uh, uh I posted the link on my Twitter and, anyway. and I retweeted it. So it's, it, it's on, it. it's Thanks, on my man. Twitter as well. So uh, it's excellent. And uh, uh, it's an excellent idea. So, yeah, so we just did that. Uh, then because, because we're, we're extreme gluttons for punishment uh, <laughs> we have uh, created or, or, or with, with many other people, it's not just us, but, but we have, we are a part of this wonderful new campaign. It's not even a campaign. It's going to be more of a day uh, this Friday, it's it's called First Woman Voter to celebrate the uh, centennial of uh, the of women's suffrage, the centennial of the ratification of the Nineteenth Amendment, giving women the right to vote. Uh, the centennial is this month, and uh, what we have done, what we are doing, is we're asking uh, women to uh, create a video where they are paying tribute, honoring the first woman voter in their family, and that that could mean multiple things. It could be actually literally the first woman voter in their family uh, who was eligible to vote. It can be the woman who first uh, inspired in them the uh, appreciation of the vote, uh, the the feeling of cherishing the vote. We've gotten, it's going to be amazing. I, I, I wish I could give you some of the extraordinary uh, people who have participated. I can tell you Ellen Adair participated and did a wonderful, wonderful video about her uh, her, her, she, Ellen, I did not realize Ellen comes from a family of actors going, Indeed. going, going back, uh, yeah. of women who, who acted, uh, who were 
in uh, in plays and and uh, and so on. And it's a it's a wonderful video. There are so many. They're beautiful. They're beautiful videos. Um, so there's going to be quite a lot of media attention, I believe, to it because of of some of the some of the really really uh, huge names uh, that are part of this thing, including Ellen Adair. And um, so I needed to come up with the word embargoed. That was that's <laughs> I, I, that's a long way to tell you why I had, I got stuck on embargoed. Um, so I could not think of anything that that is a synonym of embargoed or yeah. that even is any anything resembling embargoed. So I had to go to Twitter, and it was driving me crazy. I could not think of it. And I went to Twitter and I wrote in, "When you can't release something." That's literally what I typed into Google. That did not bring me to embargoed. But if you type in when you can't release something into Google, you will get very interesting responses. That's, that's, that's basically my one last meaningless thing is sometimes in search of, of a single word, uh, it can take you down a very bad paths. So eventually I got it. Eventually I got it. But you know what? Embargoed is one of those words that I believe if I needed it six months from now, there's a chance I'd forget it again. There, there are like certain words that for some reason just do not stick in my brain at all. Yeah. I feel like y- you telling this story might help you remember it. It might. It but might. also it might not. And I am deeply sympathetic to this problem. I feel like, and I was just talking with my best friend Brooke about this a couple of days ago, like literally five years ago, I felt like words were just at my beck and call and whatever word I wanted, I could even pause for a second to think of the exact right word. And now I find myself all the time, like sort of desperately hurting similar words, looking for the word that right. I want, and then not finding the word that I want and just like taking its <laughs> other like fluffy brethren that is not perfect, but like will do just fine. And being like, oh, I'll use this word instead. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a, an issue for me all my life. Like, I don't remember, like, names. Like, I'll see uh, actors. It's, it's, it's a joke in this family. Like, we'll be, you know, everybody's done the, oh, I know that guy, you know, thing from, from movies or television or whatever. Uh, but for me, it's, I have to go through, because I can't remember the names of the actors but I also can't remember the names of the movies they were in. Same. Um, so I always say, I'm like, oh, I remember she was the mother in that thing with, and this is, this is, this is how my mind works now. And I hate it, but, but there's, there's, I'm, it's not going to get better at this point in my life. So this is, this is the direction uh, that I have to go. So uh, embargoed, I, I probably <laughs> will remember it because of, of this, uh, because of this podcast, but uh, there will be another equally sim- Sometimes the word is so simple that I can't remember that I believe I am truly losing my mind. That's usually the way for me, actually. I can normally think of like the more complicated, almost like Shakespearean <laughs> synonym. And I'm like, ah, what's like a simpler way to say besmirch? Yeah. yeah well, and I like can't, I'm like, Sully, well, is that simpler? Anyway, yeah. For me, it's not even besmirch. It's things like, Okay, what is the building that we're in now? What do, what do we call that? You know, proper uh, nouns have always been harder for me than, <laughs> than like interesting yeah. words. Yeah, yep. yeah. You know, you know, I envy. Uh, you know, in 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 the best of ways, uh, is Bob Costas. Bob Costas, you know, the the guy you see on on television is the guy he is in real life. When you have a conversation with him, 
he, you will ask him something and he will then give you word perfect the response. And usually like, He'll do it like, I mean, which is, makes it weird to be friends with Bob Costas because you're asked Bob like, hey, what are you going to eat tonight? And then he'll give you a 30 second, exactly to the second response uh, of why he's ordering the filet. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, but I, I envy that mind. Like I have asked him on numerous occasions, do you ever have that moment where you look back and, and you think, oh, I wish I had said that instead of instead of this and he was like yeah but you could tell he never had like you could tell you could tell that he was saying yeah to make me feel better but no he's (laughs) he actually is uh says exactly what he what he wants to say so all right well alan this is one for the books i i I believe that uh, by the way i'm gonna count this as a uh birthday present for your mother too since her birthday is coming up can i do that yeah i think so okay all right please please tell her Happy birthday for me, and this was my gift was was uh, was connecting you and Ryan Howard on this. I, w- uh, I will do that, but I am confident that she will listen to this also. Well, I know, but I oh okay, well good. Well, happy birthday. Uh, what is your mom's name? Kathy. Happy birthday, Kathy. Uh, this is. Uh, I wish you could have been a part of of getting to talk to Ryan Howard. That's it. He was so great too, wasn't he? Oh my he? gosh. He was Such so good great. stories. Yes. Oh, so, so much delightful. Yes. So much fun. All right. Well, as always, Ellen, thank you. Thanks, Joe.